This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Sally Thorne, welcome to Better Reading. Great to be here, Cheryl. Lovely to see you again. I know. Can you believe it? You had to trigger my memory. I'm old, so I don't remember everything. But we recorded a Facebook Live in Canberra maybe six years ago. That's right. Uh, When I had a little book that was coming out soon, it was called The Hating Game, and you were very kind to chat to me. Yeah, wow. Isn't that incredible? I remember now that you've um, given me that memory, the trigger, I, I even remember the book cover. I remember everything. Mm. Um, and it was so windy. Remember it, it was, we persevered <laughs> we through did. gale force winds. Um. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let me introduce you. I want to hear all about how you got from that person there to where you are now, superstar. Sally is the Australian author of USA Today's best-selling books, The Hating Game, 99% Mine and Second First Impressions. Her debut, which we talked about, The Hating Game, it sold in in over 25 countries, was adapted into a major motion picture and is a TikTok phenomena. In 2019, it was listed as number seven on Oprah's magazine's top romance novels of all time. She's here today to talk about her fourth novel, Angelica Frankenstein Makes Her Match. It's a historical rom-com that imagines Victor Frankenstein sheltered younger sister's attempts to create the perfect man. How on earth did you get from there? Because I remember at the time you were working as a public servant. Is that right? Talk to me about that. That's right. Uh, I got my um, book deal um, very unexpectedly uh, with HarperCollins in New York. Remember Just that. a little Canberra girl um, that sort of found her way into this very much by surprise and by accident. And I... Yes, I was working as a public servant at the time. I was uh, really not enjoying it. I don't think I'm meant for that nine to five Mm. office life. I think you said that to me at the time. Mm. I'm Mm. sure I complained um, to anyone that would listen at the time. (laughs) But I'm just so glad to be sitting here with you today saying that I um, was able to quit my job and I'm now a full-time writer. Right. And so tell me how that happened because... We didn't have TikTok six years ago. So how did you go from really, I mean, it was almost analogue at the time. We had social media and you and I did a Facebook Live and that was really new technology, I think, back then. (laughs) So how did you get from, because you know this, usually first books, well, any book on release, if it doesn't work on release, it usually doesn't work. Mm. What happened? I just... I'm still not quite sure. I feel like I've been really lucky, but um, The Hating Game was just a book that was constantly passed on to friends by a reader, that Word it was always mouth. being put into the hands of mum, auntie, hairdresser, people telling other people, you have to read this book. And uh, word of mouth is, um, I think, still the most powerful thing. If, if someone that you know 
loves a book, you want to read that book too. It is. I mean, you know, people, we get so many lovely compliments about us um, helping discover Australian stories and Australian writers. And I think the greatest things we, we do here, the greatest thing we do is we connect writers with an audience, you know. And authors are so lovely, like yourself. People will often send me a thank you note. Thank you, Cheryl, you know. And I love that and thank you. But it's not us. It's the story. Mm. And it is, people often ask me, what, what, you know, what makes one more popular than another? Well, if we all knew, I mean, you know, I wouldn't have to work. But what it is, I think essentially, is the essence of that story and how it affects a reader in that moment. Mm, I would would agree. And I feel like um, at the time when The Hating Game was first published, books didn't look like that. Um, It was, they gave me this illustrated cover that really didn't look anything like the books at the time. Um, Books were, had sort of a more of a black cover. They looked a bit sexier. And I said to them, does, do we really think that this is going to work? And they said, don't worry about it. This is a very unusual book and it's going to go fine. And um, now when I see photos of bookshelves in stores, they all have these illustrated covers. And I think we were just right at that point when readers were, you know, wanting something a little bit different, a little bit more fluffy and romantic and cosy. And um, I don't know, it just really struck a chord with people. I wish I knew Mm-hmm. what it was about that book. Mm-hmm. I'd do it again if I could, but mm-hmm. it may be my one in a million. Mm. Um, not that I'm going to write a million books, but you know mm. what I mean. <laughs> I know what you're saying. You know, I've, I've got memories of our conversation now about you working and writing at the same time. Talk to me about that process. Sure. Well, The Hating Game, I never wrote it with any intention of writing a book. I wrote it as a gift for a friend for her birthday. She knew that I was into um, sort of short stories and writing. I wrote a lot of um, Twilight fan fiction, which um, when I first spoke to you in 2016, I would have been so ashamed of that fact. But I've reclaimed it now that I was a fan fiction writer and I had a lot of readers as well. (laughs) And my friend um, said, for my birthday, would you write me a short story? Um, And the theme would be Nemesis. And I imagined a guy and a girl sitting opposite each other in a silent glass-lined office hating each other. I started to write it and I basically didn't stop. Um, I wrote it just on Sunday afternoons, um, whenever I felt like it. And when I'd finished, um, I had the first full draft of a novel. So I'm obviously that really intense friend that um, over-delivers. <laughs> and uh, she read it and she said, there's really something here. This is really great. So I just polished it up whenever I had time, you know, over the next 18 months. And uh, eventually, um, a couple of authors that I knew through my fan fiction days, they had an agent and they were being published. Um, It was um, Christina and Lauren who write together as Christina Lauren. Um, They were my fan fiction friends. And they said to me, if you ever um, write anything original, give it to us. We'd love to read it. So I did. I gave them this hating game draft and they said, can we give this to our agent? I said, sure. I didn't think anything was going to come of it. Um, And I had a call within a week asking, could they represent me? And then uh, I had a two book deal within a week of it going out to market. And your life changed? It really did. Yeah. It was um, exciting and scary. And I was in a very stable, comfortable job in Canberra. If you have a public service job, you know. It's for life. It's Really, it is. It's great money. It's great benefits. But Mm. I did have to make a decision. Am I going to really go for this? And um, I needed more time to write that second book as well. So 
So I quit. <laughs> what was that feeling like when you quit? Uh, really scary, but I remember just being elated when I was driving home on the highway. I just felt like I'd just really taken a chance. I, yeah. I felt like I had two doors in front of me and I would have always regretted not going through that more scary creative door where I have to rely totally on myself because yeah. um, I am someone that I think I like to be in a team. This was all down to me now. Only I can write the book. There's so much to it, isn't there, in what you're saying? Like some people need to work in an environment with, you know, other people. I mean, even me, when I come in here, I just love bouncing off my team. I love the stories. I love the conversation. So there is that. But often when you're working as a writer, it's, it's solitary. I guess you've got the characters to hang out with. Yeah, when they want to play. <laughs> Otherwise, a lot of the time you're sitting there by yourself thinking, what am I doing with my life? Um, yeah. It takes me a huge amount of time to just get in the headspace. And over the course of having written now four books, I'm starting to understand that don't panic if you're sitting there for days on end with not a thought in your head. Um, I seem to pull it together somehow at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you some bad news, Sally. I've spoken to so many authors and so many that have, you know, up to their 22nd, 25th, that never gets easier. That's okay with me because <laughs> the, okay? job, the job that I had in the public service before I quit, and if any of my former colleagues are listening, um, they were, it was a great place to mm. work and great people, but I just um, was slowly kind of suffocating. Yeah. Um, it was very uncreative. Um, so I think that for me, this kind of job is the perfect job because I don't think I'm ever going to feel like I'm good at it. It's yeah. always going to be really challenging, really hard. And for someone like me, I think that's ideal. I think you've just nailed it. I don't know if anyone, and I've interviewed a lot of authors, but I don't know anyone who, who has ever said it outright. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to be good at it. But I actually think that most writers think that. Mm. They yeah. do, don't they? They're always doubting themselves. Oh, yeah. It can be really crippling. And just the knowledge that... Uh, when you start on page one of a blank document and it's only you that can fill those pages up, you've got to yeah. fill them up with something and you have to be able to tolerate the process, which is usually ugly and pretty like distressing for someone that is a perfectionist, especially, yeah. or has any kind of anxiety or self-doubt. You have to really be able to tolerate those first few drafts that are dismally bad yeah. <laughs> and just just sort of keep on chipping away at it. Okay. I, I want to go back to the hating game. So when we met, it was just out, right? So mm. it had a bit of a slow start, didn't it? In Australia? Yeah. I'm not quite sure. I th right. I think okay. I want to know how it took off and your reaction to that. It was in the States. Everybody started to read it and recommend it to each other in the States. And then um, I think maybe um, Australian readers were then seeing it in their feeds. You know, I guess it would have been mainly Instagram and Facebook back then. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was very much in a bubble and I, at, to this point, I still am really, yeah. um, where I just was continuing on with the second book and I was hearing regularly that the book was doing great and um, selling a lot of copies and uh, we eventually uh, sold the film option to that and it was going out to an increasing number of countries. All of that was completely stunning to me, but it also felt a little abstract because I was still in the same room that I'd always been in, mm. in Canberra, by myself, just doing my thing. Um, and I, 
I suffered from really badly from writer's block for my second book. I can imagine because I guess because the first one was such a fluke in a way yeah. for the way you approached it, the way you wrote it, mm. that having to sit down and deliver uh, something that it is, is expected of you, that's a whole nother world entirely, isn't it? It really is. It felt like I had walked through a school and I'd seen a basketball on the ground. I picked it up and I threw it into a net at the other end and it went in. Yeah, it But someone saw me do that and said, okay, now we're going to get, we're going to fill this place and you're going to do that again. It was incredible. Yeah. But the frozen feeling of holding that ball when there was a lot of anticipation, really high pre-orders, it was... um, it was really, really nerve-wracking um, yeah. and I didn't cope with it very well at all. I wrote an entire um, second book and I couldn't get it right. I couldn't get it to work and they were they were great with me. Um, they said, I think maybe you can just start again. Just if you're not feeling this anymore, just write another one. Um, so I've just had some really kind people, patient people with me along the way. Yeah. Whereas if I'd been really, um, you know, forced and said, get, get us this book now I would have crumbled. (laughs) I think, Sally, there's a difference between you and I, and I've just remembered this. Um, My young nephew, Connor, plays basketball and he's got a a basketball ring um, at his grandma's house. And I was over there a couple of weeks ago and we were (coughs) throwing some balls in and I threw the first one in and it it dunked and I threw the second one and it dunked and then I threw the third one and it dunked and he said, oh my God, let's play a game. I said, no, I have to retire now because (laughs) (laughs) this is not going to happen again. (laughs) I'd never even attempted it before. (laughs) And I said, at this point, I need to walk away, Connor, (laughs) over to you. Um, I guess that's the difference because you could have walked, couldn't you? I probably could have and um, would have been a one-hit wonder, I guess. But, hey, one-hit wonders, everybody knows those songs when it comes on the radio. Um, But I had signed a two-book deal, so there was that. They they got me that way. (laughs) Did you imagine yourself as a writer growing up? What did you think you were going to be? This is my dream job. If I told myself when I was nine or ten that I was going to be a writer, I probably would not have believed it. But I had a great teacher, Mrs. Jane Rowley, in my year six class, and she always got us to do creative writing, and she always asked me to read mine out first. And it was just um, so validating and yeah, made empowering. me feel so good, empowering, mm. and made me feel really important and felt made me feel like I had some kind of talent. So I actually managed to catch up with Mrs. Rowley. She insists I call her Jane, but I just can't do it. She's <laughs> Mrs. Rowley. Um, and I gave her a signed copy of The Hating Game and I said, I'm, wow. I really don't think this book would have come about if it hadn't have been for you. So mm. you can't underestimate the value of a really excellent and interested teacher yeah. when you're young. Yeah. And there are so many great teachers. I often see famous people acknowledging their teachers and I love hearing that. Mm. So The Hating Game does well. You've got writer's block. In order to write your next novel, do you change anything? Do you Have you left your job by then? Yeah, I had. So I was really um, sitting out there on the ledge mm. all alone <laughs> yeah. and thinking to myself, can I do it again? It's, mm. it's just quite a scary thing. Um, I was comforted by the fact that my agent and everyone around me told me that the second book's the hardest book. You're nodding. You know, you've heard this before. Oh, I've heard it so many times. And do you know what? I've got butterflies for you. It happens. If I get a debut author in and they've done so well, 
I'm nervous for what they're up against. And I don't tell them because there's no point. You're knowledge. telling me now. <laughs> <laughs> You've done it. You've done it. But I, when I'm interviewing people like who have, it's just taken off, I, I'm not going to sit there and tell them how hard the next book's going to be. Mm. You know, you've got to discover that for yourself. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's ever been, I've ever spoken to an, anyone who said it was easy. Right. Unless they'd written two books and then got a three book deal. And then yeah. which case book three will be their um, terrible. <laughs> yeah. Their that terrible doesn't happen moment. that often. No. <laughs> um, so I'm just really lucky again that I've had patient people that have let me take my time. Well, that's what publishers do and good editors do that, don't they? Mm. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, I mean, I, I can imagine there's nothing more demoralizing than saying, okay, we'll start all over again. I mean, whoa. I mean, mm. what do you do? Do you go out and swim a million laps and clear your head or do you go for a walk? I mean, what do you do? I'm lucky I've kind of always had books in my mind with character, sets of characters right. um, that maybe in the past when I was just writing for myself, I might have written a chapter or two or th thought about something. So for my second book, I wanted to write about twins because my mum's a twin. And you just have to find, I think you find your characters first in my case. And um, I'm very much a character-driven author. Um, a lot of my books could almost be run as a play, you know, with very few sets. And I love that trope of forced proximity. Um, I'll always look for that in romance novels. Um, so the other thing when you write romance is you look for that trope that you want to write. Yeah. So um, Brother's Best Friend is book two. Um, mm. Book three, which is Second First Impressions, is um, I would say a friends to lovers type book. And what's Angelica? corpse to lovers. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to invent that. <laughs> it's such a um, an original concept. But, but see, and also too, I mean, you know this, the genre is flooded, hmm. isn't it? Like there's so many people out there writing romantic comedy. But what resonates with you and the reader is something different, isn't it? Yeah. Well, if anyone is listening to this and they're writing their own, you just have to keep reminding yourself that only you can sound like you. Only Sally Thorne can write a Sally Thorne book and you have to have faith that your voice and your point of view is unique and that the right people will resonate with that and want to keep reading and keep hearing your voice. 
That is such good advice, Sally. As you can imagine, so many people ask me about writing and writing a book, but I had this one particular friend who wanted me to sign um, an NDA. She wanted me to (laughs) read a couple of pages and then sign. And I'm like, why would I be signing an NDA? She said, oh, because it's a really good idea and I don't want anyone to steal it. Ah. And I said, you don't understand fiction then because I can give three writers a storyline Jack went to the shop, Mm. right? And I give that to three, even rom-com writers, and it will be a totally, totally different story, Mm. won't it? Yeah. And I don't think anyone should feel intimidated by that. You know, don't sit there thinking it's all been written before. It hasn't been written by you before. And you have to just pour into the book everything that you love best. Write your dream book, the book that you wish you could pick up and read. Um, That's what I always try to do and I always try to keep the reader on my shoulder as I'm writing and check in with them. You okay? Do you understand what's going on? Was that too much um, description? I'll put in a bit of dialogue and I'm always just hoping that whoever reads it in the end connects with it, finds it easy to read. Um, That's something that people often say about The Hating Game, that it's a very easy read. Um, which I take as an incredible compliment Absolutely. because to make to write something as you know that is easy mm. to read and just washes in and the mm. pages keep turning mm. and I care about it. Mm, that's yeah. deceptively difficult. It is absolutely. Mm. So the hating game um, became a film. Mm-hmm. That's right. Amazing. <laughs> okay, because I'm pinching myself. What did you <laughs> tell me? How that happened. Well, um, as I mentioned, we sold the option for the movie fairly early on. Um, I understand that whenever a book is pretty popular, Mm -hmm. the option will um, quickly be snapped up by someone and that means that it's um, just sort of put on their shelf. They've got the option uh, to make it into whatever they want within a certain time period and I really didn't think... I've. You may be guessing by now, I've had no expectations at all, pretty much ever. It's how I operate. And uh, I thought, oh, well, um, you know, that's nice, but nothing will come of it. But um, it was with um, a company that really wanted to start making rom-coms and they wrote the screenplay. Um, And I read the screenplay. It was fantastic. It had like changes and some jokes that I wish that I'd done in my book. And I thought, my gosh, like this would be a really great movie. Um, and, and you'd never thought about that at all whilst writing it? No, not at all. No. Uh, this wasn't even going to be a book. This was yeah. a gift yeah, for yeah. one yeah, person. Yeah. And I'm thinking, my goodness. Um, and then, you know, time passed and I woke up one day, I think my phone, I had so many messages and emails from over in the States. See, a lot of the things that happen to me happen while I'm asleep, <laughs> um, which is probably, yeah, that a explains a lot. I'm constantly asleep with anything interesting happens and they have to wait for me to get up. Um, and yeah, I had all these notifications. Congratulations. My gosh, that's amazing. I'm thinking, what is this? And I found that they'd um, attached Lucy Hale um, to the project. And I'm a, li- I'm a little old, Um, But if you watched Pretty Little Liars, if you were in that um, age category, then you knew who Lucy Mm, Howe was mm. and she was perfect for the role. Yeah. Um, Just, I couldn't, you you cannot believe how uncannily perfect looks wise um, she is and her sort of spunk and her sassiness. Um, So then more time passed. They attached um, an an actor to go um, as her co-lead 
um, and he had to pull out because of a, you know, scheduling. All this time I'm thinking, yeah, this is, it, it's, this is great news. This is all great yeah. news. We'll get as far as we can get. Then COVID hit. <laughs> so yeah. by this stage we've got um, Lucy Hale and Austin Stowell as the two leads. Um, we've got a keen, um, keen production company. We've got backing, COVID. I thought, ah, oh. we got so close. Yeah. We got so close. But luckily for me, I write books that are set in very few locations. So they were able to create a COVID-safe set in upstate New York in a big airplane hangar-type place, and they built the offices and they filmed it. And I couldn't go. That's one regret that I have. I couldn't fly. There was no flights out. Yeah. Um, but they did carry me around um, like Aww. a like a head uh, in a laptop, and I got to you know see the set and see how many people were employed, and the wardrobe racks of dresses, and my vision, my what I'd made up, was brought to life, and it was giving so many other people the chance to do their own dream job on a film set. It was incredibly humbling, and I'll never forget it. Yeah. And even better. The movie is great. I love it. And I think it's done justice to the book really well. Um, And I've had so much great feedback. Isn't that wonderful? I often think too when authors, uh, book authors stay out of making the film of their book, it's usually better because it's a different vision entirely and it's a different craft. Mm, Um, I agree. A lot of people said to me... um, Lucy Hale's got the wrong coloured eyes, you know, for the the character, and I'm thinking, I, I don't, I I am the author, and I don't mind, yeah. so it's yeah. fine. I never set out to write a movie. If yeah. I'd wanted to write a perfect movie, I should have done that myself. Yeah. Um, but these, you know, it's just their version of my book. Uh, I, I was talking that. to Tim Winton the other day and he was pretty much like you. He's like, you know, it's kind of, it's not my book. It's it's kind of like a fifth cousin is mm. what I think he said, the relationship <laughs> to the book. And that's true, I isn't love that. it? Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. nice, isn't it? You have to just let all control go mm. because um, what could I do from my, yeah. my little office in Canberra, Australia? Still in Canberra, I was going yeah, to ask you that. Yeah, yep. yeah, still in the same house. Yeah. Nothing's changed really for me. Yeah, but uh, you're living your dream job. I am. So yeah. uh, okay, talk to me about TikTok. Oh, I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very early on, I heard about something called TikTok, and I read that it was very addictive, had a very good algorithm, and I made a decision for myself. I said. Sally, you're going nowhere near that because you'll never write another book. No. So I have never downloaded the app, but I have been told by my publisher that um, the hating game is really popular on TikTok. Well, my team told me you're a TikTok sensation. A sensation? Yes, that's what I've been told, yeah. Uh, Well, that sounds very kind. Um, It's just a world that I have no visibility of, but it makes me... And you've been disciplined enough to stay off it. I've never... I've never even had the app. Yeah, wow. I don't read my own reviews. I don't Google myself. Mm. I've never have. Um, So when the Oprah 7, number 7 of the best romance novels of all time came out, I was completely surprised. That was based on Goodreads um, ratings, which made it um, more meaningful, I think, because that was based on so many 
reviews by readers rather than yeah. someone's just one person's opinion. Yeah. I was shocked. I didn't know that it had been rated so highly on Goodreads because yeah. I've never been on there. Yeah. It's for the reader. Yeah. And this is what I'm loving about some of the new technology. You know, I know there's a lot of hate out there for, for TikTok and for Instagram and all sorts of things. But what it's done for writers, I think, is really connected readers and writers in an intimate way, like, you know, where you're hearing firsthand. Because back in the day, it was really only via the newspapers, really. Mm. And and the literary editor on that paper was really the gatekeeper of what was reviewed and what wasn't. Whereas now those those barriers are gone and readers really can connect with writers so so easily. You know, mm. you really do get a first-hand view from a bunch of readers. I mean, how valuable is that? It's incredible. And yeah. it almost reminds me of my fan fiction days way yes. back in the day. I used to put up a chapter of my Twilight fan fiction and within 20 minutes I'd start to get reviews as fast as it took to read the chapter. Someone yeah. would have opened it, read it and wrote out what they enjoyed and they'd always write. Do you think that was good practice? How do you mean? Like in terms of writing and responding uh, no, to was, feedback. It was probably terrible because we all just wrote <laughs> at one chapter at a time and then yeah. if you wrote yourself into a corner... <laughs> you stopped writing. You'd have to work out how to fix it. You couldn't go back and edit it. Um, so <laughs> looking back on it now, it probably was a, a crazy and stressful thing to do. Uh, I don't know if I'd have the courage again, but fan fiction, I think a lot of what people like about the hating game is some qualities that fan fiction have. Yes. You know, that fan fiction, you sort of let moments sit a little longer than maybe you ordinarily would in a book. You know, you can really get that feeling of being there. And what I learned from writing fan fiction was that all they want is for the two main characters, the two love interests, to be together all the time on the page. So I think The Hating Game, I really tried to do that. It's just... It's mm. written in that kind of spirit where there's no rules and mm. it's got a chapter in it where all they do is sit on the couch and watch Law and & Order. And <laughs> uh, I said to the editor, I said, is this going to be cut? Like, will anyone want to read this? And she was like, yeah, they will. Yeah, so, yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the new book. Tell me about that and where, I mean, where this crazy idea came from. <laughs> um, okay, so it's called Angelica Frankenstein Makes Her Match. And the title really says it all. She makes her match. Yeah. Uh, I was um, in Canberra. It was in lockdown, I think, in 2021. And I was kind of looking for a new project. I like to kind of be writing something while I'm editing so that I've got something coming through the, the pipeline, so to speak. And uh, So you can separate the two. Yeah, I think I can. Uh, yeah. It's kind of refreshing to be able to turn to a different task as well. Um, and very often when I have writer's block or I don't feel like doing any kind of work, I'll open a draft, blank document, and I will start writing the worst book of all time. The worst. It yeah. has to be the worst. Um, it's almost always historical for some reason. I guess I'm a contemporary writer, so I always set it in historical and there's usually too much description on their outfits. Their names change by accident halfway through. <laughs> um, someone's usually standing too close to a cliff. Um, we're talking dismal stuff. Yeah. And I've written, you know, I'll write maybe two pages of that and I think, I can do way better than that. It just cheers me up. I've got a whole, I've got a whole bunch of these just dreadful <laughs> first couple of pages of books. And um, I sat down and I wrote... I just started to write, Angelica Frankenstein knew what physical qualities a man should have. Unfortunately, she had to find them at the morgue. Mm. 
I sat back in my chair and I thought, I have never in my life thought that sentence before. I don't know who Angelica Frankenstein is. Why is her name spelt with a K? Um, I thought, hmm, okay, that's strange. So I just kept writing it. And I thought, of course, Victor had a sister. She was there all along. This is this fan fiction aspect that we keep touching on that mm. um, you can imagine if there had been a character there. And we know that in um, in history, uh, women are often not represented in books. Well, they're written out. Exactly. So I thought, imagine if he had a sister yeah. and she had been up on that hill with him and the suitors were few and far between because she's a little bit odd and she just decides... Well, he's making a man, I'm going to make one too. So they are side by side working on their experiments and hers works. He sits up, he's the most gorgeous man that she's ever seen, made of all of the premium parts that she could find, but he's got complete amnesia. He doesn't know who he is and all he knows is that he wants to find his old life to make sure that he hasn't left behind family and kids and Angelica is very reluctant. She thinks, oh, darn. I was hoping that he was going to be sitting up convalescing in bed and I'd come in in my prettiest gowns. And save him. And, you know, he might get to know me and he might love me. Yeah. Um, but instead she r- joins him on the, the quest to search for his identity. So set in 1814, <laughs> I know I knew nothing about the time period. And um, So you did a whole lot of research. Well, yeah, I, I certainly wasted a whole lot of time. I Googled pretty much... Yeah. When were candles invented? When were windows invented? Yeah. Everything you can imagine, I Googled it first. Because there <laughs> is that responsibility in historical fiction, isn't I'm there? sure that there are going to be experts that are kind of come to me and say, this yeah. is all wrong. I actually wrote in my author's note at the end saying, please, can you just let me off? I was having so much fun and I did my best. <laughs> um, and it's fiction after all. That's right. So where to from here? Have you got just a million stories in your head at any one time? Uh, yeah, I do have, you know, I've been kind of tinkering away at things for many years, yeah. even when I was yeah. back at work. And, and does one kind of sit out front or overriding? Is that the one that comes out at the time? Or are there times when you think, okay, no, 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 you go back. I'm not going to do you now. I'm going to do something else. I think you've got to grab inspiration when it hits. Um, Otherwise it can slip away and... It doesn't come back. It doesn't come back. Or you can just lose, it kind of loses a bit of luster and you can kind of feel a bit lackluster about it. You should always write what's really exciting you at the time and the story that, the story that just keeps plaguing you and bugging you and you just need to get it out. Mm. Um, So where to from here? I'm actually not sure what my fifth book is going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, All depends on how Angelica does, really. Mm. Um, I'm kind of maybe in a tricky position where I'm known for being a contemporary author and then I've just thrown this um, historical book very unexpectedly out. Mm. I was very lucky that the publisher said, well, okay then. I think they'd gotten a lot of very strange COVID books around that time. Um, so it they still <laughs> kind of fits in though, you know, with, with your style of writing. Tell me about your discipline, like in terms of how you write and how you approach writing. Are you a nine to five or are you, I don't know, 1500 words a day or I don't know, or are you a just, I'll do it when I do it? I'm a person that would dearly love to be a nine-to-fiver and I tried for almost a year. I turned up at my desk like I was my own boss and sat there and nothing happened. And I've gradually had to learn that 
I have to do it the way I always did it, which was mm. Mm, I think my brain comes online for writing at about five o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. That's scary because you yeah. think, what, have I, what am I doing with my life? I've just wasted all my time. But um, when, if I can get in the zone very late at night, there's almost no limit to how much I could write. Oh, wow. Until I just get too cold and too tired, then I'll have to go to bed. But I have no discipline. It's um, I'm a Virgo and it's um, very stressful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think you should be too stressed because you're doing okay. Sally Thorns, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you again. Let's not leave it so long next time, yeah, Cheryl. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> If you'd like more information about Better Eating, follow us on Facebook or visit bettereating.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.